Hey guys, Jai Edwards here for my second time around on the Where Do We Begin podcast. I'm an Olympic 1500 meter runner who's just recently returned from Tokyo. I uh, hope you guys enjoy and as always a big shout out to Lockie and Harper who are clearly scraping the bottom of the barrel to get me on again. Lord, uh, Lockie, Lockie's doing the intro today. He's warned that he might be throwing me under the bus, so we'll see how it goes. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Where Do We Begin? Our next guest needs no introduction and he's somebody that we've been lucky enough to have on the show already. Uni student, athlete, model, and now Olympian, Jai Edwards. How are we today, buddy? Hey, mate. How are you, boys? Good to, good to be on here again. Oh, mate, it's great to have you back. I think last time, uh, it's good to be on at about 9.15pm. Last time, I think we wrapped up a recording about 2am. And just for the listeners, a bit of a kind of production little secret. I edited out about half my audio because the drivel I was serving up that night <laughs> was absolutely horrendous. I'm sure you two can attest to that. Hopefully, I put in a bit of a better performance today. Oh, mate, yeah, I don't blame you one bit. I was coming from halfway across the world and we tried for weeks to tee it up. So, um. You know, you put in a mammoth effort trying to get it on at one, two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. So, uh, you know, that's the beauty of editing. Any, anything for you, Giant. If our <laughs> listeners are wondering why it was me giving the intro today, it's because Harper said but pre-episode, now Lockie, I've got I've got a great little first comment. It's it's really funny. So I want you to do the intro so I can oh, make I this did, comment. I did, I did and that was it. Let's hear it. I didn't. I, I didn't back up my claim that much, mate. I said I said I've got a little comment, but I didn't say it really, really <laughs> funny. I'm not claiming to be a standoff comic here, mate. All right, well, Carps, now, now that you've had your fun, now I'm down to the serious questions. And Jai, you took over our Instagram page, which we really appreciated, and you put on there the first thing you're doing out of quarantine was going down to this brewery that you could spot from your hotel. Now, our listeners want to know, did you go? Any recommendations? Uh, yes, I did go. I went multiple times, actually, about three to be exact. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely recommend it. Phenomenal spot just on the water under the bridge. Um, Felons Brewing Co. for anyone interested in Brisbane. Uh, yeah, we, we got stuck in there a few times and um, highly recommend for sure. I like that, Jai. I, I did see that you're looking for a sponsor, so just chucking the uh, the Felons Brewery in there, mate. Maybe that'll be your sponsor for the next Olympics. <laughs> oh, Who that's knows? it. That'd be the dream. <laughs> yeah, and mate, you you came straight home after the Olympics. Some of the other runners uh, went to Diamond League, stuff like that. Uh, kind of went to Europe. So uh, you came back. Tell us what other antics you got up to out in the town in Queensland. Yeah, look, uh, I won't go into too much detail for obvious reasons, <laughs> but um, no, nah, I, I had a good time. I was we were obviously up in, in Brisbane for quarantine for two weeks, and then um, you know from there, seeing as though Canberra and um, New South Wales as a whole was in lockdown. I just decided to spend two weeks um, up there in, you know, with freedom, uh, which is exactly what I needed after such a long time away. And um, yeah, just hung around in Brizzy for the week, obviously got up to a bit of mischief up there and, um, and then trekked on up to, to Noosa, which was even nicer. Um, yeah, like, like I said, just exactly what was needed after a long season, just to, that, that mental sort of refresh and unwind. And even by the end of it, I was pretty ready to sort of come home and, and get back to business down here in Canberra and, and back to training. Yeah, and we saw just the other night, I was talking to you about this off air actually, in the Diamond League in uh, Brussels, I think it was, we saw Stuart McSwain and Ollie Hoare come first and second. Unbelievable. Uh, but then uh, I, f- I forgot that you were back here. And uh, so just tell the listeners, why are you back here, not at the Diamond League at the moment? Yeah, for me, it was, um, oh, it was, it was a lot of factors going into that. And I was actually 
originally planned to go on um, and compete some more, but uh, for, unfortunately, I, I just decided to, to call it a season after the Olympics. It was it was a long a long sort of um, campaign and, and a long sort of few weeks leading up to the Olympics. Um, obviously, it wasn't quite the result I had planned for and didn't quite go the way I would have liked. But um, yeah, look, it, it, it just sort of come down to making a decision and I just thought it was in my best interest to, to come back home and um, had a few sort of sore spots and, and little niggles that I needed to uh, get fixed up and, um, you know, as easy as it would have been to go overseas, I was, it was just a few factors that just made this the better decision and um, I'm ready to just get back to training and, and hopefully build towards a bigger year next year. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely, Jai. Um, I'm sure that there's a big, uh, big 2022 series uh, season coming up to you. And well, you've been making us jealous that you've been getting sun up in our Noosa the last last couple of weeks. I think what, what we're even more jealous about is you went to the Olympics. You're now an Olympian. I mean, mate, just take us through it. How does how does it feel to have compete competed in your first Olympic Games? Yeah, look, it's it is hard to put into words. Like more so just. For me, the the journey that I've been on the last few years, like I've you know I haven't even run that many races um, from 2017 up until now, and this year just went so quickly and and it all just happened so fast. I, you know, it's it hard to almost soak it in. Um, and then one next thing I know, I'm, I'm running domestically, running a few races here and there, and um, next minute I'm on a, on a plane to Tokyo. And to be honest, um, I was just so lucky that it was postponed a year, otherwise. It, none of this would have happened. I, I was nowhere near um, fit enough or in, or in shape last year. And this whole extra 12 months has given me the opportunity to, I guess, give myself that title as, as an Olympian. And it does feel, you know, pretty surreal. Like uh, that's obviously what we do the sport for to try and make the highest level possible being the Olympics. And um, yeah, it actually be there more so this, this young, I didn't really expect it at all. So it's something I'm uh, pretty, pretty shocked with. Oh, mate, it is absolutely awesome. I think the, <laughs> the thing that's particularly surreal, like not just kind of running your race at the Olympics, but people, lots of people talk about it. There's all the famous people you see in the Olympic Village. Did you see anyone particularly notable? Uh, yeah, I did see a few. Um, let me try and think. Yeah, obviously, first and foremost, there's so many Aussies um, that I saw, obviously, through, through the team camps. Um, a lot of good athletics people that I know um there's a few that had countless world record holders even people that, that did break, break world records there such as your Carson Warholms and um Sydney McLaughlin and obviously the 800 meter champion I think Mo and, and all that um and then yeah as far as Australians go just just everyone like there was all the, the tennis greats um you know uh, Barty and um, obviously Mel Wu that you guys have had on the show. She's a phenomenal athlete. Jess Fox. Um, there's just so many people, and it's it's so surreal because you sort of you're walking around and um, you know you sort of just see these people on TV or on social media or whatever, and to be walking around constantly running into such famous people, it just just almost doesn't feel real. So for that to be a reality was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, mate, that sounds so special. I actually asked that question once for Harps if he's ever seen anybody notable, and he said, "Yeah, every day he looks in the mirror." <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I said, oh. "Every day I see Lockie Gibbs on the podcast." <laughs> That's it. That is it. <laughs> um, mate, you mentioned Mel Wu there. I was going to ask this a bit later, but you mentioned her there. We we're talking about it off air. Vogue photo shoot. Uh, I think this might have even been before we record the first episode, but we didn't talk about it the first time. I want to talk about it this time. How did this Vogue photo shoot with you and Mal Wu and some other athletes come about? 
Oh, I don't have a clue. It, uh, to be honest, originally I wasn't even included in it uh, to begin with. And then I think basically there was a, uh, someone dropped out and I kind of got the call up. Um, that was basically my story. Obviously, the rest of them was all pretty planned. They're two, three, four-time Olympians. Uh, so that's all pretty expected. But yeah, for me, that was obviously just the first step. Like I, I went to that thing. Um, obviously, no modeling experience whatsoever. I got thrown in the deep end a bit. Um, but no, it, was, it was good fun, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a good day. And as I said, just working alongside or being alongside all these superstars of, of sport was pretty phenomenal. Um, and basically, long story short, got a bit of a tap on the shoulder from a bloke I know who um, just said they need someone to fill in and, you know, you get paid for it. I said, no dramas. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's awesome. And just for the people watching on the YouTube or anyone that sees us three, I don't think there's uh, <laughs> much risk guessing who the model is out of us three. <laughs> got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'd get a lucky over anyone. Oh, geez, mate. I don't even think my mum would say that, but <laughs> I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate it, Jai. And um, yeah, and so we'll go back to the Olympics. We'll get this podcast back on track as best we can. So <laughs> you're seeing cool people in the village, but what was village life? like in general i mean i'm sure it was a bit different to previous games but it still would have been absolutely amazing yeah well, that's the thing i mean for me being my first olympics it was i didn't have anything to you know compare it to so it was it was just it was awesome for me like it was i was just experiencing everything for the first time um you got the the dining halls the, the way of life the big high-rise apartments um and, and the australian setup was phenomenal like it was i i didn't look around too much because we weren't allowed to go into other people's buildings, but I highly doubt any other team was their setup would have been as good as ours. Um, you know, the Australian committee did such a good job. There was gyms and ice bars and, you know, physios and a big kitchen pantry area. Uh, we had our own barista at the front, you know, just free coffee all the time. It was just, it was phenomenal. They did such a good job. Um, and I sort of finished up after that and I just thought, mate, I've got to make more of these things to be looked after that well. Like, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was so good. So, and, and I was talking to a couple of other blokes that made the team and it was their third and fourth Olympics. And, um, they just said, yeah, this is, this is quite different. So I'd be pretty interested to see what, what other Olympics are like in the future, hopefully. Yeah, that's phenomenal, mate. That's phenomenal. And so I don't know how long you're actually in the village life for, but obviously what was your preparation like heading into your race and your event? Because you'd obviously you competed in the Diamond Leagues and Europe. So your body was your body feeling good? What was your confidence like heading into the heat? Yeah, it was interesting for me. So obviously with the, the past few years I've had, I haven't had a stack of races. So this was my first sort of proper block of both training and racing and in my first European stint. So I went over at the start of June, had four races in total leading up to um, the end of August. Um, sorry, the start of August. So it was about two months. And um, all, pretty much the first three races went really well. Um, uh, the third one being my first Diamond League race in Oslo. And then um, Monaco was my fourth race and second Diamond League. That, was, that wasn't bad. I ran a small PB, but that was, I was pretty disappointed with that. It was just a bit of a missed opportunity, unfortunately. Um, should have run a fair bit quicker, but that's how it goes. And and then, um, yeah, all things were going pretty well up until Tokyo. We had our pre-camp in the reader, which is about an hour out of Tokyo, um, and training was going well. It was a bit difficult because we are only allowed between the track and the hotel, and that was it. We were under like a bit of a quarantine period for the five days we were there. Um, and I don't know what it was, whether it was just the, the constant running laps of the track or 
or, or what, but I, I just had a few sore spots and um, I actually twinged my left hamstring a little bit in the lead up. Nothing, nothing too bad, but just it just you know faltered that preparation a little bit. Um, I guess going into the Olympics, you just want everything to be absolutely one hundred percent. So I just sort of work around that a bit. I had a couple of days off and. Yeah, you know, was lucky to be surrounded by some great physios and whatnot to um, help fix that. And yeah, everything was all pretty good. Like the training went great. Other than that, and the lead up was you know ninety eight percent good, but unfortunately just wasn't quite what was needed. Um, yeah, you know, on on that world stage. Yeah, and we know a big part of preparation is getting the right kind of sleep. Lockie asked uh, Carly McCulloch, a guest we had a few episodes ago, uh, about the cardboard beds, but turns out she wasn't actually in Tokyo because her event was based elsewhere. But Ah. I'm assuming that you slept in the cardboard beds, so uh, what's your review? Yeah, the cardboard beds. Honestly, they weren't too bad. Like they were – obviously, it's just the bed frame and you get a a pretty decent mattress on top. But I don't know if it was just me or or what, but – um, both the, the to- beds in the village and the bed I slept on in the pre-camp and the reader, they were just both like hard as a rock. Like I'd, the one especially in our pre-camp, I'd, I just slept shocking all the time. The bed was hard. The pillow was hard. I don't know if it's just a <laughs> Japanese thing where they, you know, just sleep on firm, firm beds. I don't know. I'd slept terrible. Um, but in saying that, when we went to the pre-camp, I flew from Europe and the jet lag was horrific. Like it was... I was so cooked for about five days um, and, you know, just going to bed at, at 9, 10 o'clock and waking up at 3 a.m. first couple of nights and just couldn't get back to sleep and, yeah, it was pretty bad. So um, that took a while to adjust, but I guess that's what that pre-camp was for. And, um, and then, yeah, overall, the, the beds are all right. Like, we, we got used to them and, um, yeah, I think there was a few uh, a few broken beds by the end of it, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, overall is all right. <laughs> all right, well, it's it's good now. Harper can rest easy knowing that you rested easy over in uh, Japan. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely, so, that's it. Uh, yeah, so now I guess back to the event. So, mate, it was it's really interesting talking about your event pre-game. So, Jai's a fifteen hundred meter runner, just for our listeners, because we forgot to mention to that earlier. Although I'm sure you're all already know, but you said how tactical it was, and actually seeing your race, I actually I realized that and I understood it. Like, mate, how, it's always it's, I'm sorry, it's always bullshit how it's like. It costs you being in a side heat. I, I hate that. Yeah, well, that's that's obviously the just the the uh, I don't know the word like the that's luck just how it is. Yeah, it's luck of the draw. It's it's how it's how fifteen meter racing goes. It's it's what we we train for, and and that's that's how it is. Like, um, so for those obviously that don't know, there's three heats in the fifteen hundred, um, and I was in the second heat, much slower. It was probably eight seconds slower. Um, than the others just just through tactics people went to the front slowed it down obviously no one wants to take up the pace because running off the front's harder um and unfortunately you know top six go through the semis i got seventh in my heat um and obviously the slower it is the more bunched up people are the more messy it gets and that was the case in in my race where two people fell um one was right in front of me or two sort of were um so i was kind of caught up in both of those in a way but it's just it's just brutal. It's 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 part of the sport, I guess. Um, you know, you, you gotta you gotta plan for that and, and re- get ready for that um, as an athlete. But yeah, it's it's brutal. And uh, unfortunately, the the first guy that fell, he kind of just got caught on the inside rail with three hundred to go, and he's actually was probably one of the race favourites, or at least sort of a top five favourite. 
Um, and he just tried to go for a gap that wasn't there and, and tripped over some feet. And um, yeah, he was probably lucky he got put through in the end with a uh, protest. And um, so did another Spanish guy who got caught up in the second fall. And obviously I put in a protest myself, but um, yeah, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Yeah. So what's going through your mind when people just start falling like that? Obviously, <laughs> all your focus has to be on like running the race and trying to finish as uh, well as you can. But then like kind of all that preparation almost flies out the window when people just start falling over each other like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly right. Well, like it, it's hard because you never 100% know what, what the race is going to do. And we watched the first heat and it was quite quick for um, as far as, you know, Olympic heats go. Um, and you obviously look at past races and you, you have a fair fair idea of what, what's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, ours was a lot slower than intended, which obviously leads to a lot quicker last half. Um, and then, yeah, it does get messy. It was actually a bit wet on the track, which doesn't help. And as I was saying before, with 300 to go, that guy fell uh, right in front of me. I kind of had to sidestep him and, and sort of jump over him at the same time. It just sort of wrecked that momentum a bit. And then I worked really hard down the back straight to try to get on the back of the um, pack of six because I obviously knew that six make it through. And then um, the guitarian guy sort of tried to cut in on me and I just sort of held my ground um, and he just fell over really, really easily actually. And um, that just sort of hindered it again. And then I had about probably five, seven metres to try chase down. And and obviously, you know, these, these small areas in races, you might get away with it at a domestic level, but when you're at the Olympics, it's just too far gone and, uh, by the time I was 100 metres to go, I just, just couldn't catch him, unfortunately. And as I was saying, it's had I got seventh in any of the other two heats, I would have made it through on time. But because I was in the slow one, it just wasn't to be. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there. And I think what's interesting is like you touched on it before regarding the protest. So the person, the first guy, which I think might have been Marcin Lewandowski. So, he, it, yeah. pro- so he protested, he gets in. So if you tripped over his legs then, you probably would have gone through. So it's like, how is that fair on you that it's like if you go down, you would have been more advantaged? Yeah, and that's what, we, you know, obviously we talked about that a lot and I think that's, if I had have tripped over him and went down, I think I would have made it through, um, almost no doubt. But, you know, that's, that's, I think that is a little bit flawed, that system. And um, even the second fall, that Guitarian guy fell over and it sort of um, halted this, this Spanish guy's momentum a little bit. If you watch the race, he's slowly going backwards. I think he was, he was gone. Um, but, yeah, I, I think because I didn't trip over or, you know, didn't get – um, stopped enough that it, it didn't count really. Like they didn't, they didn't even look into it. So um, I don't know how the whole thing works. I know that the Australian Athletics Commission, whatever they're called, put in a um, protest for me, and I, I tried to try to get through, but yeah, wasn't to be. Just looking at the stats now for the people who are interested. So that Katara guy was speaking about Abdirahman Saeed Hassan. He didn't finish. Uh, Marcin Lewandowski finished last four minutes 43 uh and jesus gomez the spanish guy finished 11th 347 and you finished uh less than a second off sixth 342 Mm. um but question was uh how do you go about lodging the protests i I guess so obviously you talk with the coach and all your kind of um your team uh and yeah just what 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 happens what occurs yeah, so um, just about what you were saying before. So with, I'm pretty sure you actually have to finish the race in order to for a protest to be possible. So obviously Lewandowski just got up and jogged it in. He's he's smart. He's experienced. He knows that. Um, the Qatarian guy, if he had to just he just walked off the track. If he had to just jog through to the finish, 200 meters, 
he probably would have lodged a protest and been successful. Um, wow. The yeah, the Spanish guy, he was as I said, he was just held up a little bit, and he just sort of gave up. I think that's why he was a bit back. Um, you know, maybe if I had a tripped over more or, or actually hit the deck or just jogged in, I don't know, maybe I had more of a case. Um, but uh, with that, obviously, um, it wasn't a huge like, – I, I still wanted to try and make that top six even with everything that, that went on. Um, and, yeah, I, I wasn't too sure. Like a, the race just happened so quick and I wasn't even 100% sure what had happened until I watched the replays. Um, but, yeah, my, my coach just obviously handles all that and he goes to the um, – I think the the AOC or the the Australian Athletics director and and they just do it like through them and I'm not even 100 sure what happens so I think they just go back look at the footage and they just make an executive decision on what they think if you were disadvantaged enough. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. I guess the uh, the Olympic procedure. Thank, thanks <laughs> for that, boys. Um, my next one, my next one is obviously so you can see the heats before, and I think am I correct in saying that the person that won gold in Rio was in your heat, and he was the one that was setting that slow pace. So you know that he likes a slow race. Before yeah. it, you see that he's in your heat. Are you a bit crestfallen because you know that it's going to be a, like a slower race and real, or are you feeling like okay, this suits my running style? Yeah, it's it's hard because like I definitely I had like I saw him in the heat and I thought okay, like he likes to control the race, dictate the pace, make it slow. Um, and I thought that that was going to happen, but in saying that, I was kind of ready for it to be uh, maybe a little bit quicker. I knew there was a, a good Kenyan guy in there and, and a stack of other good runners, so I was trying to be sort of prepared for all all um, tactics and all, all ways for the race to play out. Um, but yeah, I just sort of you know tried to put all that aside and just race what was in front of me. And uh, I did uh, as a an athlete, you just sort of got to back your your skills and your tools. And um, I did think that I was quick enough to. You know, to, if there was a kick down, it was a slow race, so I'd be able to um, make it through. And I think, you know, maybe if it wasn't so messy in the end, um, that might have been the case. But, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. I was, I was in a pretty good spot early. I was on his shoulder and then just sort of got shuffled back easily. And, you know, in 100 metres, you go from a good position to a bad position, then you've got to fight your way out and go around. And, um, yeah, the, the amount of energy you waste going out in the lane three to go around people and get back to a good position, it really takes its toll. So, um, as I was saying, it's, it's, it's tough and it's, it's brutal, it's tactical, but that's just sort of all part of it. In a kind of hypothetical world, and let, let's say this race was a slow race, but let's say it all ran smoothly, what kind of moves were, would be your go-to? What were you planning to do if it was a slow race to kind of, uh, yeah, get into the next round? It was a slow race? Yeah, if it was yep. a slow race. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, for me, I I just try and get in as good a spot as possible. Obviously, um, try and remain in that top six basically at all times. Um, and if you get up I, early on, I was probably sitting about third on the shoulder of um, the guy. Obviously, I, I, if it was slow, I'd like to be. I wouldn't like to be on the rail. I'd like to be just a touch wide, um, just so I can get out easily. And from there, I I definitely do back my kick if I can. Um, you know, getting the right spot. I think the hardest part is being in that right spot. Obviously, the slower it is, as I was saying, it's it's more bunched, and everyone just starts coming around, and um, you know, it swamps it swamps everyone at the front, and you can easily get boxed in from there. So it's that's probably been my go-to. If it was slow, just try and be in as good a position as possible. Once people try and come around, just hold that position and um, stay in it, stay in a good spot, and then with three hundred to go, just just rip it and um, hopefully I kick everyone. Yeah, love it. 
coaching masterclass. I'll definitely, <laughs> I, I feel like I can go and win a 1500 meter race. So, thank, I don't know about that, that mate. <laughs> Not after watching the heat. <laughs> It's easier said than done, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it, mate. And for, I think this might be a final one on your event, but just so obviously, so you won the Australian qualifier, and but we still we had two Australians actually made it to the final in the fifteen hundred, and um, Stewie McSween and Oliver Hoare. If that's how I, that's how I pronounce it, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, perfect. <laughs> were, you, were you a touch disappointed though that like so you beat these guys in the qualifier and? Unfortunately, though, you didn't go as far as them. Like, obviously, you would have been ha- so happy for them as a team, but was there just a t- just a little bit touch of disappointment in your head, thinking that I know I'm as good as these guys? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, it's that's a great point. It's it was all mixed emotions. Like, I was stoked for both of them. Um, you know, I went down to the track for the the semis and the finals, and, and was cheering them on. And it was so good to see him go so well. Both of them are just river blokes. Um, and that was my thought the whole time. It's just great for, for Australian athletics in general to have two guys in the final. Um, and it kind of was bittersweet because I, I feel like I'm definitely have the potential to be there, but obviously you just have to execute on the day and that's the hardest part. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's the way I looked at it. I thought it's great that we had two guys there and, and potentially if, if I could have run well, possibly three, which would have been huge. Um, and obviously, yeah, I did beat Stewie um, in one race, but, Obviously, coming off the domestic season, it's, you know, he's probably more in shape towards the Olympics. Um, he was sort of just getting to it. I, I got a bit lucky there, I must admit. I didn't race Ollie at the um, Australian Champ because he was stuck in the US. So that would have was a bit unfortunate. It would have been good to have all three of us there. But um, hopefully next year we can all we can all get there to the Australian Champs and have a good crack. <laughs> and I think uh, on, all the, on the same night, I think it was the final night uh, of – uh, actual competition in the Olympics. We had the Boomers win bronze. Uh, we had that 1,500-metre final with Stuart McSwain and Ollie Hall, and we had uh, Nicola McDermott uh, winning silver in the high jump, and you were at the uh, at the athletics track for that, watching yep. on. Yep. What was that night like, what, watching all that? <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. That was obviously um, – once I finished my race, I, I pretty much went down to the track every night I could just for, just for the experience, and, um, you know, you try and – create a bit of an atmosphere because there's not many people there with the empty stadium, but obviously they let some of the athletes watch, which is great. Um, but that was, yeah, that was just like the pinnacle of, of all the nights I went to. That was the best by far being watching the 1500, not just for the two Aussie guys, but the way it was raced and won by Jakob Ingebrigtsen, and the um, Norwegian guy who's, who's only 20, mind you. Um, it was just an unbelievable race and, and then, as you said before, like to top that off, you had Nicola McDermott coming second. Uh, we had a whole group of Aussie, Aussie athletes and staff just behind uh, the high jump mats cheering her on, which was awesome. The you know trying to create a bit of an atmosphere, clapping her in, and all that. Um, you know that stuff. You just love to love to be a part of it, and um, you know you can't really take being at the Olympics for granted. Like yes, obviously it would have been great to to perform better, but um, I still knew that I was at the Olympics. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, you know, I'm going to make the most of that as best I can. And if that means going out and just watching great athletics and getting behind our athletes, that's absolutely what I'll be doing. Oh, yeah, mate. It was an unbelievable night. Over here, I remember I was uh, switching between Channel 7 and 7, mate, with the Boomers and Nicola McDermott. It was just, like, amazing watching those two things happening around about the same time. But (laughs) when you're watching these, obviously, like, being on the tour, you're among the best of the best uh, all the time almost. But the Olympics is the absolute pinnacle. So do you take much out of watching uh, races like that Olympic final? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I obviously I just I've, I love the sport in general, and I've watched so much of it over the over the years. And um, you see all these guys, their names, who they are, how good they are on TV. You just sort of aspire to be that good, and to actually be amongst it. Um, you know, running alongside a lot of them, and, and then watching it live, the final, and obviously the finals where I want to be. So to actually see that and um, witness it, and, and know that okay, this is this is the level I've got to be at. It's it's pretty awesome and pretty surreal. So um, for me, that's that's just a goal of where I want to be, um, and that that was a special night, and I couldn't even imagine the feeling that those guys would have had, um, and even more so. In future, hopefully, with with a crowd, it would be just unbelievable. Yeah, don't don't worry, Jai. I think Harper and I are both confident that it'll be you on the track in the finals next <laughs> time, not in the grandstand. But it's awesome to hear that you had such a great experience. And so now, so obviously, you spoke about it a little bit before that you you plan to get stuck into some training. And I'm, I'm interested: are you going to continue with the 1500 meter event, or is there a or might you extend the distance, go to an 800 or to a 5k? Because I, I think Stewie was a he was a longer distance runner than five. Uh, he was 5k before he transitioned to 1500, wasn't he? Yeah, so the thing with Stewie, he's just so versatile. Like he's he's this ten k Australian record holder. Um, he hasn't got the five, but he's probably going to get it, I think, or at least he's got the potential to. Um, and he's got the fifteen hundred Australian record, so he's just so flexible and versatile in what he does. He's so good. Um, so for me now, like normally when I'm in Australia, I have a winter season, which is the cross country stuff. It's the longer, it's the eight ten k type work. Um, you know, a bit more mileage, a bit more strength stuff in the gym, that sort of thing. And it just sort of slowly winded down throughout the season. And um, by the time March April comes around, which is nationals, you want to be sort of going pretty well there. But then a lot of these guys don't peak till major championships, which are in June July. So it's pretty hard to get the timing right. Um, so for me now, I'll probably go back to a bit of base stuff. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably do a bit more of aerobic work, that, that 5, 10K work. Um, I really want to get my, my 5K strength up. That's something that I've noticed. That's been the beauty of racing these races. I think that's um, a lot of people that have thrived are really strong over that 5K distance also. they just got that 5K strength. So I think that's something that I need to work on. And having so many injuries, I haven't quite been able to train the way I'd want to. Um, I've had to reduce my mileage and just be really careful with all that. So, um yeah, it's exciting. I think it's 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 good that I sort of got to that level, um, having to change my training around with everything. But uh, I think if I can get a good nine, ten months in now with limited injuries or, or setbacks, um, I might be pretty pretty ready to go by mid next year. Okay, so. It's a 2024 Olympics. Jai Edwards is competing in the 1500-meter event again. Is, is that is that your one for the 2024 Olympics that you're striving for? Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's the big one, obviously. We actually got a big year next year in, in 2022, 2023. They're going to be huge years as well. Um, next year doubles as the, the World Championships and the Com Games. But, yeah, obviously Paris now is going to be the big one, and, and I'll be 26, hopefully just have that – bit more resilience in the body and more experienced, a lot more ex- experience racing on that um, that world-class stage, which is something I just need more of. You, you know, the only way you can get that experience is by doing it. So hopefully two or three more years of that and I'll be ready to go. Oh, yeah, mate. Talking to Olympians, talking to athletes like yourself uh, about 
this like the kind of golden generation of uh, athletics, Australian athletics at the moment is so so exciting. Even more so, as I said, speaking to an Olympians athletes like you. But uh, one more before I think we might go to the quiz. Uh, I've heard some kind of things go around, especially from first time Olympians from Tokyo, about a bit of a kind of. Tokyo hangover, maybe, I suppose. I saw this, there was this post on Instagram going around um, that lots of Olympians were sharing saying uh, it's it's okay to feel a bit strange after your first Olympics because you're expecting to be like superstar of the world, but you're walking down the street and um, no, one, no one knows who you are. Uh, how, how have you felt uh, kind of coming back down to normal life and especially being locked down at the moment? Yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a big... Um a big come down. It's, it's, it's just a weird, a weird feeling, a weird experience. Um, as I was saying, just like the last, the last few months for me, just leading into the Olympics was crazy and, and hectic and something that, um, you know, going from, from nothing to, to experiencing all of that on the world stage was, was big enough. And, um, and the Olympics as a whole, I, I could, the thing I took out of that, I think was not just the physical and mental toll it takes on you, but the emotional toll, um, I didn't really, I didn't really think I'd, I'd be a guy who um, that would affect too much. But coming back from the Olympics, I just realised how drained I was, how how sort of cooked I was. I was, um, I think it's just a big lead up, and you just sort of feel that that expectation that whether it's just what you put on yourself or you know, because effectively the whole world's watching. And um, yeah, it's just a, it is tough. And and I think as well, going from such a high to spending two weeks in a hotel room. Um, we literally can't leave the four walls or, or get fresh air. It's it's just a big change. You almost go from you know up here to to you know prison essentially because it's just so hard, especially for us who we're used to exercising every day. Like where would we get an exercise bike? But that's about it. Um, it's a pretty pretty grim existence for a couple of weeks. But um, you know it, it, it's a weird feeling. And and for me now, I just I just feel I feel pretty normal. I feel like I'm adjusting again. It's it's definitely a weird feeling. Um, even just today it was the first time I've driven a car in Australia and I nearly was driving on the wrong side of the road. I'd just <laughs> forgotten how to function in uh, civilization. But it's yeah, it's it's all good. I'm I'm honestly pretty happy to be back and, and back into a routine and hopefully start building towards uh, next year. Yeah, just just one last one before we do get to the quiz. Uh at the start of that kind of hangover period I suppose do you get um like coaches or athletics Australia like giving you tips for how to kind of uh feel like your normal self again or even athletes who have been to games before talking to you about that kind of thing um we do have plenty of like resources and people that we can get in contact with for that type of thing um and actually as I was saying before with the AOC like their setup was incredible at the Olympics and and even more so, they they had like this quarantine thing they called it um, during quarantine. They just had all activities for us every day, whether it just be um, you know a bit of a fitness class or they had entertainment for us. I think they had a couple of musicians playing and a bingo night and a this and a that and all these other stuff. So was, you know they they tried hard to to give us something to look forward to each day, and um, that was phenomenal as well. Like they didn't have to do that. Obviously, we got we got looked after by a few brands. Um, I had a good mate of mine who got in with some brewing companies and got some beers sent over, so that was good. Um, as you probably saw, I got stuck into that. Um, yeah, it's it's all pretty good. Like it's, as I was saying, it's a big change from from coming from the Olympics trainer there, but um, it's definitely well worth the sacrifice. And um, we do have 
great support networks and people that we can reach out to if, if we need help. And, and they were great with that, which was ADR, um, two weeks there, a lot easier. That rounds it out very nicely, talking about the beers and the brewery there. Come full circle from the start of the show, but now time, as always, to go to the web. Do we begin quiz? Lockie's got a quick comment first. No, I'm actually not ready to go to the quiz half. I'm a bit flat that uh, taking over the Where Do We Begin Instagram page wasn't put in as one of the quarantine highlights, but look, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay, Jai. I know know that you you thought it, you just didn't say it. It just goes without saying, I thought, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, people can see that if they want it's on our uh, story highlights actually at WDWB pod on Instagram give it a little plug there we yeah, go right. you're right Harps now it is time to throw it to the quiz alright shall I hit the music Lockie hit the music do it main event Jeez, I'm absolutely pumped, and I can, and I'm also pumped just to be able to host it. So, Jai, today you will be up against Harper, and I'll remind you the oh, rules. I've got Harper this time, right? Showdown. The, the, your name's your buzzer, so just yep. buzz in when you know the answer. In fact, you can you can buzz in anyway if you don't know the answer and have a guess. I'm I'm pretty flexible. <laughs> All right. That's the tradition, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, first question. So they're all sort of. Olympics or Paralympics based, but the first question relates to the Paralympics. Who was the Australian who won the T54 gold medal in the marathon event at the 2020 Paralympics? Jai. Yeah. Was it Matty Di Rosario? That is correct. Ooh, very nice. I wasn't sure of the class, but I knew that, uh, yeah, we were, she got a gold in that. I'm really, I was actually praying that somebody knew the answer because I didn't know how to pronounce her name. So thank you for that, Jai. You saved the quiz master. Jai is up 1-0. Nicely done. Mate, I, I were better than you and me were last time, Lockie. We were hopeless. <laughs> we didn't get one, right? I, I, blame the, I blame the jet lag from my room into the podcast studio. <laughs> yeah, um, Lockie right. usually blames how hard the questions are. I think he, uh, he's been hosting these kind of catch-up uh, quizzes, so he makes them a bit easier, which is very nice on us. Oh, good, good. All right, and the next one is uh, closest to the pin question. So if I ran a whole race in the lane eight, I'd, pro- I'd probably clock in at about 30 seconds. I'm pretty quick. How far have I run? One lap. One lap to two decimal places. Jesus. Want to stab Harper? Uh, I think the professional athlete can go first. <laughs> uh, ooh. Um, I don't know. 449.2 metres. Okay. It is closer to the pin, so I'll wait till Harper's. I might, I might actually write that down so I don't forget. What was the answer? <laughs> 449.2. Okay, and Harper. Okay. Uh, I think I've got absolutely no idea. So I'm going to go uh, 449.3. No, I'm not accepting that. I'm actually not accepting that. I'm sorry. You've done it before. I'm not accepting it. Give a proper answer. All I'm doing is copying your go-to move. But okay. uh, Put put yourself on the line. uh, How far up or down can I put it? Can I go 449.4? Can I go 450? Can I go 455? Yeah, you can as long as it's a genuine answer, the judge will decide. Okay, I'll go with uh, four four sixty. Four sixty, geez, that's that's interesting. Harps, are uh, you are uh, incorrect? It is four hundred and fifty three point six six. Oh, oh, 
You went too high, I mate. With four, five, five. But you, sh- you should have you should have stuck with your original answer, Harper. All right, so it is 0-2 to Jai And we'll go to the third question Now, this one is This is probably my personal favourite question And we've spoken about beer a bit too much on this podcast But hey, what's what's a second longer? Which company was the Tokyo 2020 official beer? I know this Wait, I don't even know if I do I drank plenty of them there, Jai Is it Asahi? That is correct yeah, had plenty of them, so should know. <laughs> did, you, did you try Strong Zero when you were in Japan? Uh, yeah, I think so. Are they different colour can? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like yeah. the potent, like the lemon flavour. They're like 10% and... Yeah, yeah, I think I had one of those, yeah. Did, that you, was get any of the, uh, did you get any of the vending machines out in the streets which have like hot drinks and stuff in them out in Tokyo? Nah, unfortunately, that's the issue. We weren't allowed out of the village, so... So it didn't I have was, that within the village, anything like that. Nah, they had um, they oh. had like vending machines, it was just like cold drinks. So, oh, bit, bit of a letdown. Yeah, missing out on the full experience there, mate. Oh, hundred percent. All right. Anyway, we'll get this podcast back on track with the uh, the fourth question. Come on, boys, stick to the quiz, respect the quiz. And the fourth question is: What is the name of the twenty twenty Olympic mascot? Jesus oh. Christ! I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think I will know it when I hear it. Um, you probably won't with my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If, if you both can't get it, it is Miratoa. Is yeah. that- yes. Right. I'm just sounding a great thing for both of us here. Yep. That was shocking by us. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't have got it anyway. <laughs> I though. should know, but no. Nah. Oh, well, look. And now it does come to the final question. So I believe Jai's score update is up 3-0 to Harper. But as we know... As we know, the Who Am I questions up next. And so... Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is Harper's chance. Bread and butter. All right, so for... Slide in there. All right, for the five-point clue, I was born on the 4th of December, 1990. Uh, And just for the listeners who haven't listened to the show, by the way, uh, I'll take over the quiz master role just for a sec. I'll say, Who Am I question... Five points, four points, three points, two points, one points with uh, all different clues leading up to it. I've got to get four points, I think, and I've got no idea on this one. So move to the next one. Go to the next one. All right, so four-point clue. I've hosted my own radio show on Triple J and have commentated at the Australian Open. Harper. Yeah. Born in 1990, you said? Yeah. I will say. Don't do it to me. I'll say Dylan Alcott. I don't know it. That is correct. Oh, oh, what a yes. class play. Oh, yes. Well done. I had no idea. How have you pulled that out? <laughs> How have you done that? <laughs> I, I, I knew he uh, has hosted Triple J, a Triple J show, uh, oh, and no. he's just about the only Triple J host I know. Will Anderson does a bit of Triple J, but oh, it's not going to be Will Anderson. He's got nothing to do with anything. So, Well played. Still an Orcott. Of course. <laughs> well, well played. Well I think I think I need to look at my quiz master skills. If I if you can get it off four points, I might have made it a bit too easy. So <laughs> sounds, I apologise to you, uh, Jai. I let you down as quiz master to let. Oh you mate, nah, don't worry. That was that was well played by Harbour. Thank you very much, Jai. I got to say, it feels very very good playing myself the victory yep. music like I did just there. It's like it's a great sense of achievement, great sense of accomplishment for myself. Much better score than uh, last time with uh, us two. That's for sure. <laughs> what was that, about 1-0 or something? Uh, something like that. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's that's about all uh, we have time for. Thanks so much for jumping on, Jai. It was a pleasure as always. 
No worries, Phil. Thanks for having me again.